Hey everybody, Vespi here, once again flying solo for today's ad reads. Please, if you will, remove your hats and bow your heads for a moment of silence for our absent Pop-Pop Wampler, who was struck down in the prime of his youth by COVID, which he caught while having too much fun at Fantastic Fest this past weekend. So please, a moment of silence. I mean, he's not dead or anything, but thank you for that moment of silence anyway. He'll be back in full swing next week, unless he catches a malaria or something else new. But in the meantime, I want to tell you about a couple of sponsors. It's going to be a little top-heavy this episode. We don't have any mid-roll ad reads, but we got a couple here to tell you about before we get rolling with the show. And I'm going to do just that. So, first up is Leech, the debut novel from Hyron Ennis. Here's what I know about this rad-sounding book. Leech is a mashup of gothic fiction, science fiction, and horror. It has one of the most unique protagonists in recent science fiction and has been called The Thing, but from The Thing's point of view. This story was written for genre fans of all sorts, from fans of Cronenberg to Bronte, and is set in a post-post-post-post-apocalyptic world in a creepy castle ruled by disgusting aristocrats and a multi-mind, multi-body doctor at war with a parasite. Tell me that doesn't sound cool as hell. Sci-fi and horror writer Peter Watts says, if you ever wondered what would happen if David Cronenberg and Edgar Allan Poe bumped into each other at the same parasitological conference, well, here's your answer. Meet the cure for the human disease, Leech by Hyron Ennis, wherever you get your books. I also want to tell you about Are You Too High? Notice the question mark in there. I threw That's in the title, so I had to do the eh, little too high. A new book by Brian Box Brown, the comic book artist and author behind many graphic novels, including the New York Times bestselling Andre the Giant, Life and Legend. Have you smoked too much weed? Is your trip way too trippy? Have you bitten off more edibles than you can chew? Well, have I got a book for you. Are You Too High is a hilarious and delightful guide that may help you or your distressed friend stop freaking out, or at the very least make you laugh until smoke comes out of your nose. Are You Too High is in stores now, or you can find it on Amazon or at neatoco.net. That's N-E-A-T-O-C-O.net. And finally, of course, we couldn't roll with the show without telling you about our corporate overlords over at Fangoria. This classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. Not only is Fangoria highly collectible, if you get yourself an annual subscription, it comes right to your door four times a year, and each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you'll need to subscribe. And to do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your entire order. Whew! With all that said, let's get on with that show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Today's guest is making his second appearance on the KingCast this week, gang. You may have seen him on Late Night with David Letterman, Agent Carter, or Up All Night, and you may have heard him on one of his bazillion podcast guest experiences elsewhere, or on his very own podcast but king cast listeners where we'll call him from 
a sprawling episode we've recorded on a, a, a creep show last year. Mm. He can next be seen in his upcoming comedy special, Doug, which hits Moment House on October 6th. Today, he's here to talk to us about one of Stephen King's more recent novels, Billy Summers, and we couldn't be happier to have him back. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Matt Bronger. How are you doing today, Matt? Hey, guys. Oh, man, I'm great. I'm great. I'm really excited to be back on, on your podcast. Literally, yes. Honestly, one of my favorites. I probably listened to like six podcasts, and it's in there. So, oh, oh, well, that's awesome. lovely to hear. And we're, we're excited to have you back. We had, a, we had a great time the last time you were on the show. Yeah, that was so picked, much fun. <laughs> and you picked Billy Summers, which I don't think we've done a Billy Summers episode, have we? No, we did Here? a review when it came out because this is like kind of unique in that this is a book that came out after we started the show. Yes. So, so this is uh, one of the few. It was like, this, well, one of the few for Stephen King. It's a few that he's only put out coming up on what three books since we've uh, started this. <laughs> yeah. Or is it four? No, did If It Bleeds come out after we recorded or we started as well? I can't remember. I honestly, Billy remember. Summers I stands out because they, uh, uh, the publisher actually bought ad space on the show and sent us early copies, Whoa. and uh, uh, and then we also got advanced copies of Fairy Tale as well. Uh, no ad buys though, uh, so maybe a negative review on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the level. Put them of in their place. I truly enjoy. Just like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> like By the time. Really- by the time this airs, we should have, we probably will have done some sort of, some sort of episode on mm. fairy tale. I would imagine. Yes, we are recording this deep in the past. Uh, oh, February I'm, of nineteen ninety seven is when we're recording this. Actually. <laughs> so, uh, what have you been up to lately? Tell us about the new special. What's going on? Uh, oh yeah, it's well, it's a, it's a no. Listen, it's I appreciate you having me on so I could do a little promotion, but uh, especially just talk about this this book I I really dig and this. This author who I just hope to get some shine because he just really hasn't got the popularity I think he should. Uh, that that old Stevie King. <laughs> um, no, I. Um, it, it's called the special's called Doug. It's named after a terrible man I met on vacation with my wife. <laughs> As I say, it's it's important for men to have bad role models. You know, like this is yeah. the guy I met. He was a dad and he hated his kids. And every time I saw him, he was drunk, which I have no problem with if you're on vacation. But the fact that he, they had these kids and they were just like. They were like, Ugh. And we're, you know, I, I won't get into it. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear the tale of Doug if you watch the special. But I named it after him because I have a daughter who's two. And it's like, I'm basically an, an old father now. I'm 48. Uh, the timing was perfect for my maturity level. But I had this whole hour I was going to shoot in 2020. And then, you know, the we, we had the lockdown. And I ended up shooting it, the special, a year later in October of last year. And by then I had thrown out at least half of that hour that I had because it was all different, you know, things. So it's basically like this moment in time where I'm, I'm was back on the road constantly. And I, and I shot this thing and, you know, I'm really psyched for it. And moment house is like a new thing where people kind of, they make it more of an event. And the end of the special, I will say does have this really, really big reveal. that's almost like a magic trick where I, I have an audience member help me. And uh, it's one of those things that I would, people would see me do it on the road and film it and try to post it. And I would have to track them down and be like, please take that down. That's in my special. So <laughs> it's it just making it more of a, of a, of a, like I said, an event rather than just it's on Netflix or it's on Amazon where it just comes and it's just on this board, this grid of, mm. of wackadoo faces. <laughs> and you're like, how do I pick a, a, a comedy special? Like I want it to be a thing that people have parties around and things. So we'll see how it goes. What is it like being back out on the road right now? Is it pretty much back to normal? 
Pretty much. It's kind of, it's a little harder to get, get butts and seats because of the cost of gas. I'm finding, mm. you know, people are having to kind of, you know, uh, skimp on things they want to go to, but it, that's coming back now. So it just, it just comes in waves. I mean, I was just talking with a friend of mine who I'm going to be doing a, like a little mini tour with uh, next year. And we're kind of, you know, it's always just like, we'll see, we'll <laughs> see if people are into this or not, but it, it, the business is definitely back. Clubs have been back a long time. I mean, I, I, 2020, I just was like, nah, it's for me, all, all the, all the dick joke emporiums are closed as I put it, you know, I, I, sad sad day for America, a sad day for comedians, bad day for dick jokes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I was lucky enough to have this newborn kid. That was, that was my job. My wife worked remotely. And so I would just take care of Rose and it was, it was great. It was great to kind of just like stop and, and slow down and, you know, I mean, I, I had a bit hit Instagram today that uh, was off the cuff bit I was doing in um, the comedy attic in Bloomington, Indiana, which is a great, great spot. But they would have you do a show there and everyone would be masked, you know, you know, in 2021 and stuff. And they only recently just started, you know, stopped having people wear masks and things. And I just post I just had a riff at that club about how there are certain clubs down south who are like, we're staying open. And we'll kick your ass if you wear a mask like this crazy, just, I was just like, you know, I basically was like, look, you don't have to race headlong into hell. It's going to find all of us. Right? <laughs> right. Dark right. hand of death will rest on our all our shoulders someday. You know, and I had a couple of people pop up calling me a snowflake and some of us had to do our jobs and stuff. I'm like, OK, that's that wasn't my point, And I have no problem with the South. But all right. But my point is, it was fast. Well, not no problem. No, not yeah. none. Hey, listen. Some problems. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I say I, as I live in the South. Yes. Dude, I, I know. I, and I, I do love Texas, but uh, I I played Dallas the weekend. They they kicked they kicked Roe in the teeth, you know? Oh. Once that got, yeah. And I was just like, I don't want to be here. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of those things I was going to get on stage and be like, what's wrong with you guys? Because <laughs> it's like, look, people come to my show definitely weren't weren't happy with it and even more upset than i was for sure so anyway yeah you, you yeah. think and, and even if they turn on you then you can always do the the bill burr special right and just right just roast the fuck out of the entire city yeah, exactly. for, for 10 minutes oh my god i, I love that bit of his where they're like we didn't like what you said we're christians i said then forgive me <laughs> <laughs> i i've done shows uh stand-up shows in dallas and can tell you that if you really want to piss off a dallas crowd just start talking about how much better oklahoma is than texas whether you mean it, whether you mean it or not and that will get a reaction i can yes. guarantee you that i didn't realize there's, there's a massive rivalry oh yeah mm-hmm. in oh, fact wow. when i was performing i had a whole bit about texas versus oklahoma that was like a series of backhanded comment uh compliments to oh, Oklahoma okay. then on the surface sounded very nice, but we're actually not. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm not I'm not going to do the bit, but uh, I did that bit one night. And one of the jokes within that, you know, the overall bit uh, pissed this woman off so much that um, like after I had performed and got back to my table, I got up to like take a leak or something. And mm. she was like, can I talk to you outside? And she was being kind of flirty, you know? Yeah, and I was like, right on. Okay. You know? So sure. I like followed her out. And have you been to the improv in Addison, Texas? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know there's that piano bar right across the hallway, and there's that yeah. long fucking hallway. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so we go out into that hallway, and she like takes my hand and starts leading me down the hallway and walking backwards. And I was like, I uh, <laughs> honestly, I was thinking, oh well, I'm getting laid tonight. 
And yeah. no, I was not. Uh, <laughs> she goes, so I just have to tell you, I'm from Oklahoma. And I was like, like the Kill Bill sirens went off in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, oh, shit, here it comes. And uh, she tried to slap me. And oh uh, but she was very, very drunk. And so I just I very, you know, pretty effortlessly just caught her hand and was just like, lady, it's a fucking joke. Please. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, in her mind, she thought that would just be like a Indiana Jones punch noise, you know. When she, <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, that, not so much. That it was visualization where she, in her mind, she's like, "Listen to me, I am from Oklahoma," you know, hitting all the consonants and everything. And she's like, "Yeah, very dumb." And then she softly petted the air in front of your face. Yeah, her, have you ever seen videos of a cat that's had too much catnip and it's just sort of, <laughs> you know, it was like that kind of a that kind of a throw. <laughs> so yeah. it didn't it didn't come close to land. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 the people who just basically like grab you after a show to tell you something, it's just, you I just don't, don't know why I haven't learned just to cut and run immediately. Yeah. Always, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, someone that's nice is like, Hey, can I take a picture or, Hey, I really like that bit or whatever. Or like, you know, maybe throw some shade at me, like whatever, you know, just like good natured fun. But I've had it's always drunk women. It's always like a woman who just sit next to you and all of a sudden they own your time for some reason. And they're sitting next to you and they're and like this woman, I have a bit in the special about how women love balls. And of course it's totally facetious. <laughs> right. Even us men, we have them, you know, it was some kind of mummified change purse in our pants all the time. Uh, but basically like, the bit is kind of making the analogy of like, I'm just like women only like them if they're real and they're big hangers, you know, like in high school, a girl would ask you out. You didn't think she knew your name, but you know, all she wants to do is touch your balls, you know, like total BS. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a whole thing that I do. And I always do it just to watch people's faces crinkle and like, what? And then I won't give away the ending, but it's just about how men would come to me after that, after the show and say, you know, what are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. But uh, this woman was like, can I just tell you, women don't like balls. And I'm like, yeah, did you listen to the whole bit? That, that that's I say that. And she's like, oh, we were talking. Like, well, what are we talking about then? You, you tuned out halfway through the joke and you want to tell me how the joke should have gone? Are you from a parallel universe where that <laughs> just like, wow, God, it's like accidentally making eye contact on like a public bus with someone who's talking. Right. And you realize, <laughs> oh, God damn it. You're crazy. Fuck! Yeah. And I'm on this bus. Uh, News for that lady. I don't even like the ball. I don't like having balls. They're awkward no. and they're fucking. They're ridiculous looking. I mean, no. let's be honest. <laughs> and can I say, note to self and all the men listening: if you're uh, uh, getting a vasectomy, don't make your urologist laugh during the procedure. What? <laughs> yeah, I got this real chill urologist who's just a knockout, just a handsome dude. He feels like kind a of real a real chill urologist. Oh, my. Like, my former urologist was Klaus Kinski. And <laughs> very no high strung. That's shriveled because you have no will. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he, he's, in, he's in my bag. And I'm like, so what's been going on, man? And he, it's him and an assistant who he's like a guy who's like watching and learning. And he's just saying all this, you know, like, well, well, well watch out. There's a big sheath here. A lot of nerves. I'm like, please stop. Like, I can still kind of feel things, you know? Right, Not pain, but like pressure. It's just if it's a weird feeling to have someone inside your sack. FYI, <laughs> but he goes. I mean, I'm like, so what have you been up to, man? And he goes, you know me, just grabbing big guys by their balls all day. And <laughs> funny, right? Yeah. And I laughed, and I was like, dude, same. And he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, please stop, don't laugh while you're cutting. 
<laughs> like, he got oh, little no, miniature no. scissors in my nuts. Please, oh, please don't laugh right please. now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for riffing or talking to you. <laughs> yeah, no riffing during the uh, during, during the procedures. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I guess we took care of your Stephen King origin story the last time you were on the show, which means we can sort of uh, jump into um, Billy Summers. Uh, for yeah. those who haven't read it, would you be willing to uh, tell us what it's about? Give us an overview of the plot. Yeah. Uh, in a nutshell, I don't. It's, it's funny because it's a hard book to put in a nutshell. Uh, hmm. it's, it's multi-layered. It's basically a a hitman. Uh, who's doing his 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 uh, you know last job by his estimation, um, and to pat and a lot of it is a stakeout. So to pass the time, he just starts. He always wanted to try to be a writer, so he starts writing. And so basically, what you're reading is the book he's writing as you're reading it. Um, and he goes through a guy who's basically like a a death broker that he works for sometimes, and um, you know it's the he's the 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 age old hitman who only kills evil people kind of thing. Right. So he's technically like a good guy. Um, and he assumes a couple different identities during the book. He takes in uh, a woman who's been attacked. Um, and the, the whole book basically ends up where he is tracking down a person who is most certainly based on a former president of ours. Uh, and, um, uh, I won't give away the ending, but it, hmm. it the reason why he was set up to uh, kill this person was not for why he thought. And a lot of it is his detective work, figuring out why they hired him right. and um, why they, you know, spoiler, they, you know, are certainly trying, going to try to kill him once the job is done. And he, he sees that coming like a train on the track. Uh, and so right. He, right. he sets himself up to not get knocked off. I, I kind of went all over the place, but it is, it's a really multi-layered uh, book about basically about a hitman. And for sure. Yeah. yeah. What's going no, on. I mean, you, I think you, you, uh, you covered all the bases there. You did a, a better job than I probably could okay. of, of summing this up. But it's one thing that I will add is that it seemed, it's a kind of a book told in two parts, right? So you yeah. have like half of the book is leading up to the hit that he's hired to do. And the kind of money he's making will, uh, you know, set him up for life. And, and you know, this is King's take on on that very well-worn, uh, you know, one final job hitman story. Uh, but as you mentioned, like that first half is all about Billy Summers as a character uh, having to infiltrate this town. And part of his cover is like being a regular guy that always goes into this one office. It's facing exactly the way that that he needs to to shoot to take out his target, you know, which right. is probably going to happen months and months down the line. He's going to get like a week's heads up on when this target is going to be escorted into uh, this courthouse. And uh, and so it's like playing up all these great Stephen King strengths of this guy's just likable, but he, you know, knows in his mind that he's lying to everybody around him and he's kind of beating himself up for that. Uh, mm. And then the dividing line is as he's setting it up for the job, he's also setting up for his escape. And he has these early warning signs that that maybe his employer doesn't have the best his best interest at heart. So he's setting up both the escape that he and his employer are planning, as well as his contingency of I'm really just going to ditch everybody and then demand my money after. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's this like amazingly intricate 
like setting up chapter by chapter, page by page, setting up of this plan that that uh, when it's executed, you you think it's going to happen at the end of the book, but that's the middle of the book. And then the book mm-hmm. changes into something else in yeah. the middle of the book. Yeah. Um, it was, this is one of, I mean, not that I should be surprised that I like a Stephen King book, but this was a, a real kind of surprise to me reading it. Um, just how involved I was with the story, how involved I was with uh, Billy as a character. Like I really like the Bill Hodges books, um, mm-hmm. but King doing crime is like my second or third favorite flavor of King. It's not my mm-hmm. first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, not that they're bad or he he sucks at it or anything. It's just my personal preference. You know, I like spooky shit, as he would say. Yeah. Um, and so for me to be as page turnery with this as I was with like later recently uh, or even the Institute, which is also playing the his strengths. I wasn't expecting that going into this. And uh, uh, and I, I just think it's a solid fucking book. Yeah. And I, I would add, you know, it's it's a it's a book about a guy who's who's who <laughs> becomes a writer by basically embracing his imposter syndrome like he, <laughs> right. like yeah. he plays a dumb guy to his employer almost like half the book and yeah. then, you know he assumes another identity uh, of a guy in an office nearby for his escape and he assumes another identity when he moves into a bad part of town those are three different guys and he's just like well why not pretend i'm a writer and try to really write well and i think like yeah. that's how you have to approach it if you're gonna right. write you know right. that and that's his cover, right? Because his cover story is that he's yeah. he's a, a writer that just sold a, a, a like he made a, his first book deal and he's in this office to write the book. Right. And, and you're right. You, like, this is another really smart thing that he does here is that you read what he's writing yeah. as well as the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. And he starts writing in case because he doesn't know if if the laptop that he's writing on is bugged and they can mirror his screen. So he writes as the dumb hitman guy. Yeah. Right. He's using bad grammar and wrong yeah. sentence structure and all this stuff. But then he, like as he's falling into it, <laughs> he determines that he's not being his computer isn't being watched. And he actually turns into like a decent writer and uh-huh. he uses it therapeutically, too, because he's telling all these uh, he ends up writing about his uh, troubled childhood. He writes right. about uh, his experiences in Afghanistan and as mm-hmm. a sniper in, a, in Afghanistan and, and all this stuff. And it becomes kind of therapeutic and it's quite a, an ingenious setup actually for getting a, a peek inside the mind of a character who, as you said, is always putting on up a front that isn't himself. Yeah. And I feel like the, the hitman genre has been done to death and, and ha- it's really hard to do well because no one really knows a hitman. You know, they wouldn't be good hit men or women if we knew them. And so it's kind of like they say, you know, there's two things right what you know, but also what did Stephen King really know a kid in a souped up wheelchair that took on a werewolf? You, know, you have to have your imagination and you have to write about stuff you might not know. I mean, it's, it's it makes like a book made me think of Barry because that's maybe the only right. other thing I can think of in modern pop culture in recent years that like, oh, you, you did the hitman thing and it didn't make me annoyed. You know, uh, like when he when when uh, Hater was like talking to his his producer about, you know, ideas and he was just he had no ideas. And he was like, I don't know what I mean. He's like a hitman. And the, the, the producer, <laughs> why don't you fuck yourself? You know, like, no, what? You, what What are you talking? But they somehow made it work. And it's the same thing with uh, Billy Summers, where it's just like the the, the thing that my ma- biggest takeaway, uh, and there were a lot of them with this book, was this would work. <laughs> you know, I read that right. book and this guy would get away with it. Like yeah. all his plans and machinations 
would exist in the world I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, something, something, and something you said ago has got me thinking. Like, I wonder how many hitmen are currently in operation in the United States, and then of those hitmen, I wonder how many of them are dumb as fuck. Right. <laughs> right. Like, it, because wh- I was thinking about it when you said, you know, no one knows a hitman. And I was like, you know, the only time I ever hear about a hitman is when some dipshit like gets <laughs> yeah. caught trying yeah, right. to do a hit. And it's clear that he has no fucking idea what he's doing. You know, no. he gets easily yeah. busted in some sting by the <laughs> cop. <laughs> you know, Craigslist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Craigslist or like Facebook message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meeting LinkedIn. in broad daylight in a Denny's, you know, handing money yeah. around a table, you know, like I don't think that um, here's the thing though, like that, that creates the, the illusion that hitmen are dumb. Right. Right. But but what it's really telling us is that that many hitmen are dumb. There's got to be smart ones out there who are getting by uncaught. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you think about like the the amount of of big business that the modern mercenary, you know, uh, is with companies like Blackwater and the dozens more that I can't even think of right now, but like, right. Really? How do you, how do you, where do, I think they're, they, they make those millions and billions in the gray area where it's like, Oh no, he wasn't hired to kill a person, but it just, it kind of just happened. You know what I mean? It's like that, that's about the most feasible thing I can think of for how a hitman, you know, would, would actually work. But I mean, to your point, yeah, there's probably just a bunch of dumb dudes that are just like, <laughs> I'll do, I'll do whatever for a thousand. You know, yeah. I, I, will, I will push a guy off a bridge I've never met before. Oh, cool. Then I have a thousand dollars. I mean, what's yeah, but you get you guys are onto something, though, because it is it's always the the Florida man story where, you know, a woman, a woman hires a, a, a dude that his, you know, he, he looks like he lives in a uh, like the worst, the bad side of a trailer park with no right. teeth and, you know, and couldn't, you know, count to 10, you know, it, it, that person or the only other people that I've seen are the ones that are interviewed for all those like mafia documentaries where they're yeah. like, well, you know, People say that I killed 74 people for the mafia, but they never proved nothing in court. You know, yeah. it's like I, I haven't seen like the movie version, like who, if that exists in this world, if there's like a, a Leon, the professional, you know, that's yeah. out there doing that thing. And and I yeah. guess they wouldn't be. They just wouldn't be caught, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned Leon. That's obviously that's probably the most stylized, uh, you know, I can think of the hitman films and things. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, there's um, Gross Point Blank, which is, you know, utterly ridiculous, but I love right. it. It's really right. fun. You know, I, I think that, that that that's the thing you probably don't find is the hitman with a heart of gold, which is basically what Billy Summers is. In right. a way. Not gold, but I don't know, at least silver. Like he helped that woman and basically kind of adopts her in a sense. It's not that feasible, but I think right. it's 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 fantasy, which is great. Right. Well, you is can't. There- Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, you can't have the hitman with a heart of gold because you're taking money to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is, there is no, I mean, you can have lines of like no women, no kids or only bad people, but you're still taking money for it. Like maybe right. you can make the argument for vigilantes, like the right. guy that, you know, there, I don't remember the name of the case specifically, but there was a, you know, like a dude that was uh, caught 
uh, molesting another guy's son. Right. And like, and there's a guy that like, he didn't wait for trial. Like he, Jackie, yeah, him, you him. know, and, and uh, just shot him on live TV in front of everybody in the head. Like that one killing anybody is a moral, you know, uh, morally ambiguous zone, but taking <laughs> money to do it versus like doing it for the, just because it's the right quote unquote right thing to do or, yeah, justifiably righteous thing. Well, this is actually a great lead into what I was just about to ask, which was, is there a scenario where either of you would Mm -hmm. be willing to carry out a hit for money? Wow. Top of my head, I'd have to say no. I won't say I would never kill someone and given the circumstances kind of thing. Right. I mean, you can, it's your answer. You can invent any scenario you want. (laughs) Yeah, I would do that. You know, uh, 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 the thought that I had was, are there, are there hit people that do like the occasional pro bono job, you know, like a, a lawyer right. Right. Has no yes. money, needs my help. And you're like, wait, this guy's, this guy's molested. How many? Uh, you, no, no, no. I got this one. It's on the yeah. arm. You guys yeah. keep getting hung up on the money aspect. Yeah. When really it feels like the murder should be the bigger issue here. Like once <laughs> you've agreed to do the murder, whether or not you're getting tipped for it, Seems yeah. irrelevant. You're you're it's, taking another life. It's so I think funny. That, yeah, I, I find find someone that's, who's been murdering women throughout the throughout the Midwest or something, and I and I just shoot him and throw him in a ditch, and then like yeah. five thousand just just pops into my Venmo, and I'm like, oh fuck, no. Hmm. Let's say you wrong. you you get summoned <laughs> to your your city's local police department. I say, look, we know this guy is a serial killer. He's been knocking off. I don't know, insert the the sympathetic victim of your choice, sure. you know, whatever the scenario may be. Mm-hmm. And we simply do not think we're going to be able to beat this in trial or that he'll claim insanity and go away to some resort somewhere, yeah. you know, right. padded resort. Right. So we will look the other way and also toss you X number of dollars to uh, take care of this. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see the thing is I don't think I could do a job. I would fuck it up. I know yeah. I would. I know yes. I would. I, <laughs> I am someone who exactly. for one thing, uh, you know, I've never forgotten is like my child. You know what I mean? And I live in <laughs> fear of that. But I've always been like, we'll be halfway across the country in a plane. I'll be like, God damn it, my my iPhone plug. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're always so I will I will leave a fingerprint at the scene I will <laughs> you know, right. I'll shoot the guy wrong and he'll scream and someone will hear him you know it's like I don't know I, I'll muck it up I know I'll muck it up and also mm. just I do carry this you know uh uh this this the the albatross of catholic guilt that never leaves you once you've been mm-hmm. raised in, it, in a sense even though my church was incredibly progressive even you know beyond catholic you know, uh, uh, considerations and things. And mm-hmm. I don't really believe in hell. I don't see a loving God that would allow that kind of thing. But like, I don't know. I just don't, I, I stay, I, things will wake me up at night. Like that I did that were embarrassing in like high school. And now sure. I'm in my forties, you know, I can't imagine just being, you know, sitting there in a, in a, in a, in a haze of, of mild intoxication, enjoying a sunset on vacation and not being like, Oh fuck, but I killed that guy. Shit. Damn it. But if you remember, like you can create your own scenario here. So Mm. if you knew it was, if you knew it was somebody that was hurting other people, right. And not getting caught. I don't think you would be sitting on that beach. Boo hoo hooing about it. I I think you'd be like, (laughs) 
I got a cool half mil and that serial killer isn't in operation. Anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you raise an interesting point. Yeah. But I, but I do agree. And that was going to be my answer is that I would absolutely fuck it up because <laughs> I, I have not done any murders and mm-hmm. I'm someone who like, I can read about things until I'm blue in the face, but I won't learn them until I've actually done them. Okay. I, you know, I learn by doing. And so, yes. Uh, so I, watch since, out, homeless population around Scott's, <laughs> Scott's residence. I'm not looking for for <laughs> practice, but like <laughs> if if I were suddenly put in that role and you know charged with doing it, yeah, I would absolutely. I would. I'm not hmm. a details oriented person by any stretch of the imagination. No, I think you have to be detail oriented if right. you don't want to be a dumb hitman. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the thing when you read uh, Billy Summers, you're like, God, this guy is just on the ball. Like he's so, yeah. he doesn't have a team. It's, it's him taking every imaginable precaution and not having panic attacks as he does. You know, like, I mean, to, 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 to plan, this is, that would be a year of brutal tension for me if I was Billy. Oh, yeah. I would give it I away. Wonder, I wonder if King researched contract killers from this because he seems, I mean, mm-hmm. Billy Summers is so smart, as you have pointed out, that, you know, it's he's clearly like a pro's pro. Right. Um, so. Either all of that information, either everything in the book is just entirely fictional and he did no research and just <laughs> happened to happen to nail that or what I would consider nailing it. Or maybe he did talk to talk to somebody or at least read some interviews with with contract killers. I mean, he went on a Craigslist and found found the person I feel, offering to to kill people. Yeah. I feel like he could he could get anyone to talk to him, you right. know, because I oh, feel sure. like yeah. he he obviously one of the the most popular authors of all time, all time, and uh, you know, people either uh, I feel like love scary stuff, they like some of it. You rarely find that person that's like. Now, I don't like anything. And even and even if you don't, even if you hate horror, everybody loves Stand By Me. Everybody loves Shawshank Redemption. Like he's right, got right. he's got something for you too. Like there's nobody who wouldn't I could see him just kind of reaching out through like underworld people or something, and they're just like, Oh, yeah, I got a guy. He's a fan. You know, just some random <laughs> yeah. dude that loved cat's eye or something. Like, what? Right. That's yours? Okay. You know, right. Did you ever watch the Iceman tapes on <laughs> HBO? I never wanted like to. It just sounded so awful. Yeah, I, I know. What I read about. the I read the book that came out of that, and I watched the, uh, you know, the interviews with Kukulski, mm-hmm. and that yeah. guy. Like, here's a guy who, for decades, was a very successful hitman. Right. A little different though, because I think he's you know he's working for the mob, which they're. Uh, even they have that that sense of honor and not being rats and shit, even if they know who, you know, pulled off a murder. So they're not going to be telling the cops. So that's going to give him like a boost up from just some random ass clown mm-hmm. that you might meet in a fucking Home Depot parking lot. Sure. Right. But also, I think Kuklinski was just like a true psychotic, like, you know, um, he claimed like he did not get pleasure in in murdering people but you watch him tell these fucking insane stories about how he killed people which were like so elaborate and like needlessly cruel that that it it kind of uh, kind of feels like well i don't know 
even if King watched that, if he could even use it, because I think that's a different kind of a different kind of animal than what Billy Summers is. Yeah. I mean, I think I got to say he probably just kind of pulled this whole thing out of his butt. You know, I, I think I, cause I don't think you're going to find a, a hit person who's like, just, yeah. What do you want to know? They're going to, unless they're, 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 unless they're already incarcerated in telling you, or just, they're going to be sociopathically indifferent. You know, I think, I, it's, I think it's highly unlikely he would talk to a murderer for, for the book, but I right. do think it's possible that he would, seek out interviews with people that had mm-hmm. already been busted for doing it. And, you yeah. know, uh, we're in prison or whatever. And, you know, we're kind of telling their side of the story. Yeah. There's also I, an authorly side to all this too, because, it, you know, Billy Summers is almost super heroic in his foresight. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there aren't people that are, aren't smart enough to pull this off, but it is a little bit of an authorly novelistic trope, right? That, that mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to go with here that he, like just has reads the the tea leaves right in that a betrayal setup is coming and yeah and uh you know in in him planning months and months out for that inevitability and not even like oh if things go wrong i'll switch here it's like just i'm dropping it completely the the plan that i'm building with my employer is completely out the window um so there's a little bit of that that you have to take into account that 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 might be influenced by his uh, previous books like mm-hmm. or, or not pre- his previous books but the books that he is he has read you know he's a big reader of crime fiction too so you know it's kind of like um, like ryan johnson being able to write knives out after just obsessing over agatha christie for decades mm-hmm. oh, right yeah. where it's like if you if you really become a student of the greats before you in this genre you know then you can uh uh you know mimics the wrong word but you can take those tropes and and uh and spin them well you know yeah remix yeah, them exactly. to your own advantage yeah exactly and i mean i think yeah i think you nailed it i think this was like th- he's like oh this will be my this will be my noir this will be my crime novel uh not that he hasn't written ones before but I, to me this is kind of the the the, the premiere this is this is the best one you know that that i've read by him that i that i really dug and you know like i found out recently that supposedly uh reading richard matheson's i am legend is what made Stephen King go, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. <laughs> right. Great. I found a thing that I want to write. That's awesome. And the thing about I Am Legend that jumped out for me when I read it was like, God, this guy's so lonely and horny, you know, and like just wants companionship and wants to be with a person. It's not so much about killing vampires. Mm-hmm. Like he's a solitary, sad dude. And, you know, it ends with, you know, I, I wish they would just once use the actual ending in one of the remakes or the the, the adaptations where it's like he's like a tiger on display, you know, in, in the glass case. And they look at like, this guy killed like a hundred of us. What a scary guy, you know? And it's right. like, no, I'm still just alone and sad. Can I have a kiss? You know, like, he just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm just like I, I think, you know, Stephen King reading it and also being like, mm-hmm. oh, the solitary life of a writer, but the horror, but it's like, you know, there's a lot of emotion in that, in that novella. Um, and it's like, I, not that I was like, oh, Billy Summers is like that, but Billy Summers has no one to relate to and he seems okay with it. But I feel like him meeting that woman awakens something in him and makes him want to get out of right. the game even more. Billy Summers doesn't have like uh, that. What's that, that bar that Deadpool and all his friends go to that murder. People. <laughs> right. right. The mercenary bar. Yeah, exactly. Which looks awesome. 
Like who yeah. didn't want to go to that bar? But yeah, yeah. he doesn't have the uh, John Wick hotel to relax in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And this little sheath of gold coins that buy him everything from <laughs> yes. you know, bombs to whiskey. Yeah. What did yeah. you uh what did you make of the references to the shining that are in this mm. book, Matt? Oh yeah. Yeah, they're Remind me, because I remember noting that when I read the book back well, in 2019 when, or something. Yeah, well, the um, you know, the young woman that uh, that that Billy takes in after she's yeah. been sexually assaulted, and then yeah. gets uh, Alice very yeah Alice gets very memorable uh, revenge. Oh yeah, on on, well, on yeah. those guys. Um, they end up like killing time with basically Billy's like handler, who's like out in the mountains in Colorado somewhere. Yeah, an off the grid type. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And in sort of hiking around his property, she discovers that there's a place you, you can get to in the forest where you can look a, a, off across an expanse and see the remains of the Overlook Hotel, like right. in, you know, and yeah. and there's also this little shack that has, um, I th- I think a painting or a photo of the Overlook. It's a painting. In it. Yeah, yeah, and. I've even I, I heard that I heard this fan theory put forward once that 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 shack was like the laughing place that Annie Wilkes refers to as like a place she goes to outside of her house in misery. I'm not sure Whoa. how much uh, credence we can give that, but the mm-hmm. shining shit is very explicit. And yeah. I, I thought that it that wasn't just, you know, fan service. I thought there was mm-hmm. like a greater point being made. And I remember after we read it. Talking to uh, Bev Vincent, who's, you know, uh, another brilliant writer. And he's like, he's worked with Stephen King's a million times. They're very close friends and Mm. yada, yada, yada. But he had read it early, too. And so we were DMing back and forth. And I was like, what do you make of this Shining stuff? You know, I was thinking that, you know, thematically it does this and maybe it's tied into that. And what, you know, presented him with whatever theory I had at the time. And uh, he was like, yeah, I think that was just Easter eggs for the fans, dude. Um, I don't. (laughs) I was wow. like, oh, okay. Well, maybe wow. I'm overthinking it, but maybe. but I don't know. Do you remember what you thought the thematic tie-in was? I don't. This was over yeah. a year ago. My brain is fucking pudding. Yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of what it could be, but uh, you know, I kind of read it as just like he needed to get from the was it east? It was East Coast when where the hit happened. Was it like Philadelphia or something? It was. I forgot. Um, There's a town called Midwood, but I'm not sure where that place is. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to get from one site, essentially to Nevada, where the finale takes place. Yeah. And so, so, uh, you know, the way that I interpreted it was just like, well, it becomes a road movie at some point between this hitman and this young woman as they, you know, they have a friendship that might be more than a friendship. And, 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 you know, as this relationship is developing um, and, you know, we need to have him meet the handler at some point along this trip. So why not, you know, Colorado? And then he's like, well, and if it's going to be Colorado, then, you know, fuck it. Maybe I'll throw in the remains of the overlook off in the distance. And then like, but like what Stephen King does that because he, the way he writes isn't outlined and planned out in advance. I think that he stumbles upon stuff sometimes that just grabs him. And so he goes, Oh, this is really cool to just have the overlook burnt out back there. And then we find ourselves back in the spot uh, later on. And he had, he injects a little supernatural where uh, uh, Billy 
thinks he sees the uh, the painting move or the because right. it's the hedge animals in the painting. Right. So uh, and so it's one of those things where like it, it creeps him out so much that he like takes it off the wall and turns it around. And so, you know, I, I just think that like those little Easter eggs that he, he's planting, I, I can guarantee you it starts that way. But then it sticks in King's mind as he's writing and then he gets back there. And he's like, maybe I'll throw in a little as I get as I say it again, spooky shit, throw some spooky yeah. shit, you know, in there just uh, just for a little, you know, thing, which I actually love because this is in no way a supernatural story at all, mm-hmm. um, uh, unless you can count Billy Summers just being, you know, such a, a brilliant tactician. <laughs> And, and an amazing shot, you know, but that's that's all set in a grounded world. Right. Even when he goes on this like crazy hit rampage, you know, in, in Nevada, you know, it's not like he's taking on a, a, a John Wick style compound of, you know, 48 best bodyguards or whatever. It's like three people or three or four people in a room. Right. Yeah, totally. And even that he goes, I'm probably not coming out of this alive because that's too much. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he's realistic about like what, you know, going in and into these kind of situations is. So I do. But what I do love about him introducing that spooky shit element, it's fully setting this grounded reality that everybody else in, in the world is experiencing in the same world as all the spooky shit that because that's what happened. You know, if spooky shit really did happen in real life, like if there were vampires, if there were haunted hotels that, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, turn people evil and, and shit, you know, if all that stuff existed, I would be living my life completely oblivious to it. Right. Uh-huh. And, and not experiencing any of that. So I think it only, you know, underscores what King does in terms of the heightened reality books when he throws in these very realistic uh, stories that take place simultaneously or in the same mm-hmm. space. Yeah. I was, I also had the thought that maybe he just threw the overlook in as a kind of, uh, you know, just another jab at Kubrick where he's just like, it's still mine. I can <laughs> with, with, I, I'll fuck, fuck around. I will bring Jack back. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, like I, I, if I'm going to put this in every book, just let everybody. So it's like, of course, it's a classic that no one will ever forget about, but Stevens mm-hmm. is trying to erase it from our memory somehow. <laughs> Ethis Kubrick, the blow the blowjob dog, is getting his own book now. Would read, frankly. <laughs> yeah. One one interesting yeah. thing is that my memory of reading this is that I blew through it in a couple of sittings and that it was a very yeah. lean book. And I'm looking yeah. at the Wikipedia page for it right now. It says it's 528 pages. So it's a longer one. Yeah. Wow. I really do not remember See, that being the case. The I would have told you it was 350 tops. The drawback with digital uh, media is like, you know, I read that on my Kindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure on a plane flying somewhere to go do comedy. And like, I, I remember thinking, wow, this thing's going on and on, but no, not minding, but I did like you. Uh, Scott, I was I blew through it in my well, fairy tales day. like that too. He's he's Billy Summers is such a fucking awesome book. You know, it's just a really great yarn, and yeah. it and it flies along like you, it's very very difficult to put down. Um, King, I think, and we talked about this on the show before that he is now operating on a level of mastery where you know the, some of the things that have sort of haunted him amongst critics or fans in his, you know, earlier career, writing women clunkily, for instance, or racial stereotypes or um, not sticking the landing with the endings uh, have become less true uh, in the past decade or two, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, um, so I think that 
that mastery allows him to write a fucking 500 page book or in the fa- case of fairy tale, like a 650 page book where you can really just blow through it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's so compulsively readable fairy tales. Like again, it's over 600 pages. And I went through that thing in like three sittings. It's, it's just, I don't, I don't know what else to say beyond the fact that like he's, he's got this shit down to a science. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that. You said he's worked on his faults, you know, the thing or not even faults, False is strong. Shortcomings, uh, perhaps. Shortcomings, sure. Non-strengths. I don't want to say weaknesses, you know, but like opportunities. One thing, <laughs> one thing, <laughs> you see problem, I see challenge. You know, I one that one thing that that uh, that I I thought you were going to say you, you didn't was the thing that I think he's missed on is when he really really tries to be funny, and I'm not saying that as someone who makes a living by by doing bits, but it's one of those things where it just came off so clumsy when he tries to create a hilarious moment, though he has moments in his books that are absolutely laugh out loud, but you might not look at them and go, oh, that's a joke. You know, they're just, it's, it's more lying in the absurdity, but I always felt, felt like his sense of humor was a little clumsy in the earlier books. And now it's definitely evolved where he's not, yeah, really, he's, I think it's just that he's just not worried about it anymore. He's not going. Did you read that? Did you read that short story Flynn? He just released like through scribd it's about this like teenager who has the worst fucking luck of anyone you've ever met lives over in ireland um ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time and he happens to be wearing like an identical outfit to someone who these like a mob outfit has been has been chasing and and trying to get to to obtain some piece of information so he literally runs into this guy on the street wearing the same clothes the guy runs away. Two seconds later, a van pulls up. Guys get out, toss him in the sliding door. They peel out. <laughs> and then they take him to like the mob boss's estate or whatever the fuck. And, uh, you know, subject him to a number of unpleasant uh, psychological tortures and physical tortures yeah. and whatever. Uh, but it is hilarious. That book, that or it's more a short story. I don't know if we can even call it a novella, but I, I laughed out loud many many times reading that and i thought that fairy tale was also kind of funny mm-hmm. so good yeah awesome. I, I i think you're right i think he has improved on it though i will go to bat for needful things being way funnier than anyone ever gives it credit for <laughs> yeah it's so I, goddamn I, funny i like the idea for needful things so much you know i always anytime you're like oh it's the devil i'm like i'm in what's the devil doing this time you know what's like, he up to this time what's he up to now a little small town in maine Giving, giving out trinkets for uh, nefarious acts. Yeah, and it is. It is, absolutely. You know, it's... Well, it's yeah. Pulling so. off hijinks with his little with his little pitchfork and what have you. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, just to touch on that, I think that, like, what King does well with the comedy, though, is most comedy in real life is, is fucking weird and awkward and yeah. a little fumbly, you know. I mean, Matt, that might not be your experience because you are a very talented comedian oh, and you have thanks. a lot of very talented, funny friends who are around you, but I think for most folks, when they read that, there's an authenticity to it. Maybe it's an unintentional thing and it's just him being fumbly and, and trying mm-hmm. to be funnier than, than he is, uh, but... Uh, and to me, when I read that stuff, like I, I read just like his awkward sex scenes and stuff, it's like yeah. there, there's a little reality to that that maybe people don't want to want to acknowledge. And it, I, I don't know. There, there's this. I acknowledge Stephen King has far different tastes than me. I'm sure. I'm sure 
I might not enjoy his rock and roll band that he has with his friends. You know, right. I, I might not, he might think something so funny, but, but at the same time, you know, he's a big, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a dork. I'm a dork. He's, he's a fan of Patton's. So, and I, you know, I love Patton and like, so mm -hmm. he has good taste, but there's just certain things that I'm sure he just loves the living shit out of that. I'm like, I don't get it, man. I don't, sure. this is really my thing, you know? So take, take my point with a grain of salt for sure. I just remember that being something that was like, I was like, oh, okay, there's a scene where these two guys are dying laughing at something and it's not even really a pun. It's just, it rhymes with something else. I, what, I don't, I don't see, you know, I'm just sitting there going, I don't know why these guys would be cracking up so much. If this is. Because they're dipshits. Aren't they like henchmen or something? Oh, well, it wasn't from Billy Summers. Oh. It was from, I wish I could remember the damn book. I'm so sorry, but. It no, just, it doesn't matter. No, yeah, but you get, you get my point. He, yeah, totally. He thought a thing was so funny and I was kind of like, I don't know, you know, but hey, different. different I, think he's, I think he's got a, a, a mischievous sense of humor. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that, that came through loud and clear when we had him on the show. Uh, oh, wow. He's just, it was so he's, fun to listen to that. Cause. Oh. Yeah, and him well, being, I, I I loved how he took the he loves that he loves your your opening, and it's like I could yeah. probably do your whole opening, you know, like I'll be <laughs> the ice is gonna break, you know, red rock, like I can do it all, and like he was he's like I like that you used the, the dead zone, I enjoyed that. That's one of the adaptations I really enjoyed, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and it's great. That movie's amazing, but yeah, he was he just doesn't how can you not have an ego but he doesn't seem to have much of one you know no, not at all and in fact i think he you know i broke his balls a couple times on yeah on that episode. <laughs> I think that, and it, it's because i had been warned ahead of time by a mutual friend that has also interviewed him a number of times that he just doesn't respond well to you know ego inflation or ass kissing or, or no. any of that kind of stuff and I think a dude like that probably likes the occasional dick joke and he, yes. you know, and he, you know, he responds to the, the goofy humor of EC comics and shit like that. Like he's, yes. he's just, you know, he's a yeah. little scamp is, he is, is what scamp. I <laughs> he was on the, um, that, well, that, that Eli Roth history of horror, uh, doc series that I think AMC and shutter did. And he's the whole time he's been interviewed, he has a t-shirt on that says, You can't have manslaughter without laughter. And there's like a guy. <laughs> it's such a it's like a corny, scary dad joke. You know, like it's well, oh, that's yeah. definitely his forte. You know, you follow uh, yeah. him on Twitter, like he is fully embracing his dad joke uh oh, mastery yeah. at this point. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think another thing that this book really uses to its advantage is that it's not quite a twist, but it's a a, a complete um course correction or change you know mm. very early on like once they set it up you assume that okay that's what this book is going to be about it's going to be about him like you know we're gonna it's going to be a procedural watching how he pulls this thing off no it gets settled pretty fairly quickly into the novel and then he meets alice and man i did not see that shit coming it changes the whole course of the thing yeah and makes it even more interesting than it was before you know, uh, mm -hmm. and there were a lot of opportunities where he could have made the relationship between Alice and Billy. I, I fucking hate the word cringy, but kind of cringy, sure. you know, or or made it like something you might not want to be reading. But he doesn't go down that path. He keeps it profesh. 
and uh, uses uh, her character and Billy Billy's character too. You know, their dynamic to to great advantage in this, and it's all because of that little like twist right there. Yeah, uh, and and like I, she he could have just made her kind of your damsel in distress or Mm -hmm. something or other, but she's a fully fleshed out character. Like I I visually saw her in my mind. You know, uh, everything she was wearing, and um, for me, she had dark hair, and it, it just. I I felt this person was a was a person, you know. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you know that you have legions of 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 male authors who write these female characters that are pretty one dimensional, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and I feel like I feel like he definitely he definitely did the work in terms of making this person uh, feel real and not just feel like an accessory for like right. this this person helps Billy find his heart after all right. this. You know, where it could just be that, where it's just this kind of simple girl who moved to the big city and things, right. bad things happen to girls like that when they chase their dreams, you know, kind of, no, right. it's, this person was, was, is just being a human being and yeah. they, three-dimensional they're like, should have been cardboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, listen, there's going to be automatically people just turned off by the fact that there's an, a big age difference. He's in his early forties and she's in her early twenties. Um, and the fact that there's an attraction that grows between them and, and a relationship that grows out of that, you know, that, but you know, I'm, they're consenting adults. It does, it doesn't bother me. She's not written as being necessarily, um, having no agency in this. And she's also, as you said, she's not made to be the damsel in distress. This isn't, uh, the kind of story where, uh, you know, the bad guy that he's going after to get his revenge kidnaps the girl and now he's got to save her. And like, yeah. none of that shit's in this, in this story. Like she, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing because Billy Summers is the title character. He's the main character. He's who we see the story through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there comes a perspective shift uh, towards the end of the book, but I don't want to say too much about it because it's still new enough right. uh, that people might not have read it yet. And, mm-hmm. But King does a really interesting thing in changing perspective. But for the most part, the book is told through uh, Billy Summers's point of view. And right. So how do you do that and have this girl who's like li- literally dropped at his doorstep, you know, and, uh-huh. you know, halfway through this book or, or 40% of the way through this book, um, be that fully fleshed out character and not short shrift her um, and, uh, you know, and make her just an object of desire. You know, mm-hmm. and and so again, this is it feels like it's effortless in this, you know, with with King. You know, there have been times where he struggled with that uh before, uh, of of making the girl more than just the the thing that gives the main character a boner, right? Right. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh uh but that that's absolutely not the case here. But she's also not the the badass, you know, Natalie Portman and again re- referencing Leon, you know, the badass that's willing to step up and has to get, you know, the bad guy kidnaps her and he has to save her, or she's right. gonna step up and like be this crazy badass, amazing assassin. That's not her her arc. No. Right. So it's it's uh, I don't know. It, it's really impressive, I think. And and whenever they adapt this to um into this limited series. Uh, that they've announced and have planned plan to do. I really hope that they keep that uh, thing and they don't Hollywoodize it a little bit and go, well, she has to be more involved in the finale and, and all that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, there is that knee jerk thing where they're like making every female character, you know, a, a, a death dealing badass in some way or the other. And it kind of, it, it, you see these networks 
pushing that narrative where it's like, yes, empower women, but empower them by making their characters vivid and real. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to have, she all of a sudden doesn't have to do a backflip and cut a guy's head off, you know, and, and Billy Summers is leaning on the door frame, like very good, you know, like, right. I talk, you know, and, and to your point, you made a great point in that she isn't out for personal vengeance. I think, you know, the, the, the thing at the, the end of this book, and I won't give it away, but the, 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 the target he finally finds is certainly some, it's someone who's done something so terrible that you're like, oh yeah, you got to kill that guy. And like, right really make him feel it you know what i mean uh this guy has to die and you you hate him because he's kind of done the worst of all things i won't get into that but if you had the the, her character be the one who was on the you know the the bad end of that like it happened to someone she knew or it happened to her or you know kind of thing it would just be too much if they were just on this, now we're on this mission together, and I am, I am the 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 avenging hand of God, uh, who is you know doing doing the, the the good work on your behalf. It's like no, this is just the journey they find themselves on together, right? You know, so that that's that that's a good point. This one left me, and this isn't always the case, uh, certainly, but it it left me wishing the book was longer. Mm. Um, and that we got more time with Alice. I would read a whole right. other book, like a sequel to this. That's with Alice as the main character, and yeah. finding out, yeah. you know, what what she goes on to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. I'll be I'll be intrigued to see if he um, he ever does anything like that. With maybe uh, with she should uh, spearhead the revival of the Overlook, like she built. Yes. <laughs> Goes down, you know, gets a gets a contractor in the area, uh, you know, and uses Billy Summers, uh, you know, coffers from all his murder money to set it up. Yes. Again, you know? Yeah. And lo and behold, the evil's still there. Damn it. Oh, isn't that it. always the case? <laughs> Just still when you think you're a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you guys think about um, this adaptation, what I know of it, it's bad robot. JJ Abrams mm-hmm. nice. has signed, teamed up with Ed Zwick who will direct it mm. and it'll be between six or 10, six and 10 episodes is what I saw, which is a hell of a fucking swing, by the way, mm. <laughs> the difference is between a six episode and a 10 episode miniseries is quite substantial. So yeah, it leads I me would... to believe they're still figuring some shit out. Did I they... think you can do it in a, in a nice eight. I think 10 is a little too much. I think six is a little short. Yeah, right. I agree with that. Because you got to live in this world, right? You got to like spend some quality time with Billy Summers establishing himself within the community at the beginning. Because that's some of my favorite stuff from the book is that feeling of like, what do you do to establish yourself as belonging in, in a place, you know, where you know in three months time you're going to be on the run. And like one of my favorite relationships in the book is the relationship that Billy has with the family next door and yeah. like where he goes and ends up like going to their barbecues and being kind of like the, you yeah, know, like yeah. the, an uncle fixture for, for their I kids. forgot about and, that. Yeah. yeah. And that could have been the whole story itself. And matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why I was so shocked that the hit came as early as it does in the, yeah, uh, in the story, right. because it really felt like they were setting up all these things, you know, that were going to complicate his life leading up to the hit. Yeah. Uh, which they do in a way, but it it becomes not the focus of the story. Well, and and him realizing that he's going to leave this family, shell shocked and hurt. 
and he really right. cares about them, but he knows that they're going to be like, you know, the archetypal person who lived next door to a serial killer. They were like, seemed like a nice guy to me. You know, yep. I didn't know he had this collection of runaways clothes in a trunk in the basement. To your point, I also liked his relationship with the, with the kind of Trumpy couple that he like drinks beers with in the apartment. Yeah, they like live upstairs. That thing. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, yeah. I, they made them real too, which I was like, okay, like that's that person who we, you know, you, we, we all live around those people or have might have them in our lives. Often they're, they're relatives and they say something that you're just like, you're out of your fucking mind. You're like, I'm just going to let this go. It's my uncle, you know, <laughs> like that right. kind of thing. but it's not, you know, he just, he, he, he established what was a real relationship with those people. You know, right. I, I believed it. I believe them. I believe that family with the barbecues. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, and it just like, if you're not, I think this could be a very solid movie, uh, as well, just a feature length movie. But mm-hmm. if you're going to make it a mini series, then to me, the, the whole point would be to luxuriate in that setup yes. and see his meticulous planning and, you know, get really invested in the hit and him escaping the hit and all the setup that he does. You know, it's kind of like a, watching an Ocean's Eleven movie right where half of the fun of that shit isn't watching them execute the heist it's watching them set up all the dominoes and then as the heist goes on see what you know if everything goes to plan or not right that's something that a movie would have to get through within like what 45 minutes to an hour at the very most yeah whereas if you're gonna make this a six to eight to ten episode long miniseries, you have a lot of opportunity to live in that moment more than you would have a feature film. Yeah. And I feel like it could be, it really could be uh, akin to, and this is a stretch, but the, the Royale McCheese dialogue from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> right. People love that scene so much is because the guys are talking about everything except the murder. They're just right, right. Their mind off it. They're going to just, shoot these three guys that's where they're driving like you're driving with yep. your buddy we're gonna go kill people together you know the little things about the difference in europe the little things you know yeah what do they call that and, and i feel like that's what billy summers is where he's just it's that extended by a year you know where he's just kind of trying to be human with as many people as possible to leave yet not leave a trail when he really is just going to go Mm-hmm. slaughter a human being or three you know or whatever right. so it's just it's i i could see you really you know you want you'd have to get the, the right uh voice right writer to do it but like you know i'm sure they'll find the person and it's like you could get a lot of humor out of that and a lot of you know there's, there's a lot of fun in the lead up too and ed's wick directing is is interesting yeah. because for many years uh Zwick was lined up to do an adaptation of the talisman. Yeah. So he's been oh, trying wow. to make some Stephen King shit for a hot minute. And I'm glad he's going to do, do one of these finally, because I think that guy's pretty fucking talented. I know people yeah. give yeah. the last samurai a lot of shit because it's like, you know, the, the white, the white savior, savior thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. And you know, basically, uh, you know, uh, a feudal Japan dances with wolves and what have you. But um, I don't know. I can't condone the whitewashing or anything like sure. that. But I think it's a beautifully made movie. I like the movie. I, I have yeah. the same problem with it that you have that most anyone has where it's that is the archetypal. I'm a movie star. I want to be a samurai. But Tom, right. you're white. 
but how would we make it work? All right, figure it out. Give me, give me yeah. a give me a month. I'll 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 crack it. Yeah, I mean the Japanese performers in it are like second to none, and they all did it. And it's kind of this I don't know like that 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 movie's just, it's one of those ones that I tend to just leave on when it's on cable. You know, like Tombstone or you know Eternal Sunshine at the Spotless sure. Mind. Yep, it's on. I'm leaving it. And the town, you know, like those ones that are maybe not the best movie, but boy, it's fun to watch. Mystic River is one of those, too. Oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah. Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To your point, Eric, about doing this as a movie versus a series, I think that the the series is definitely the way to go. And for one major reason, and that's that you can naturally construct that run of episodes, however it may be, to accurately reflect the various changes of tone that happen within the novel. Right. Mm-hmm. So like the first few episodes would be the hit, you know, him getting to know the neighbors, him getting into the office, him figuring out how to use the people in the office to his advantage, carrying out the hit, the, the betrayal that happens at the end of that, you know, that's your first few episodes. And then he meets Alice. And so now you've got a couple episodes and that, that's the flavor of the thing for a while is, yeah, is, is uh, him, you know, sorting out how to avenge her and going on the road with her. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the, the third portion of it is a entirely different flavor where now they're fucking, they're storming this guy's compound. They're setting up this, you know, the, uh, the whole final section of the book where they're at the, the media mogul guys. Place. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that me? Sorry. No, that was actually, no. I had, I okay. had my thing on, I've gotten like three calls during this pod. Sorry. And you know, I've clicked deny. Ooh, you're so popular. Oh, oh, spam. oh spam. me. I yes. see how it is. Yeah, I, it's fine. Um, um sorry. But, yeah. but, if uh, I leave that in, all the listeners are going to instantly jump and grab their phones. Okay. <laughs> definitely leave it in. That's some Andy Kaufman shit. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we could do a whole Andy Kaufman inspired episode with like audio glitches and all kinds of shit and just really piss people off. That would be great. Um, File that away for the next April Fool's episode. But my point being that you get to see the um, the tides turning in terms of like what uh, flavors this story has to offer in very distinct ways. You know, maybe it's nine episodes and each one of those acts is three episodes. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about, but it, God damn, is it fertile territory? If yeah. they, if they do this upright, it could be great. A lot of that's going to come down to casting. Oh, who big, you, big time. Who are, who are y'all thinking for Billy Summers? Oof. I'll go first. Blake, <laughs> you, you go first. John Bernthal. Okay. See it. Yes. Love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I mean, I, he's great. Uh, I just always great. He's somebody that can get what I like about that real quick is the he can play a Palooka dumb type if he wants to and it'd be believable. Yes. He also can play the guy Mm -hmm. that's playing the room and you know, and playing everybody's expectations and is whip smart. I think that's pretty inspired. Like my my initial thoughts was like if it was gonna be a movie, what I would want is uh, you know, I don't know if it works for a TV series, but what I would want in a movie version of this would be a, just a triple A all star. You know, let's make this a big star vehicle and you get somebody like Denzel or you get somebody mm. like like yeah. um, Jake Gyllenhaal or you get somebody who's like kind of this big respected 
actor in this role where he can just, you know, chew the scenery. I'm not sure, like, doing the TV, like, the miniseries version, not that there's much separation these days. You can get great people, uh, you know, big stars to do, you know, a, a, sure. a streaming series or whatever. Yep. yep. Lisey's story had fucking Julianne Moore in it. Yeah, and Clive Owen, who Clive yeah. Owen would be an interesting part. Colin Farrell, I think, could be interesting. Yeah. I, I tend to think of Billy as being a little more diminutive, though, like a little little bit of a smaller man. That way he can right. kind of like just fit in. Steve, and Steve Buscemi, it is. Go on. Tom Cruise I is no, Billy Summers. I have no problem with that. I don't think Barenthal's that. I think he's just normal height, though. I don't think he's right. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. And also, I and he's on my mind. I think, I, I think I've said that before about wanting Barenthal to be mm-hmm. Billy Summers, but I just. Yeah, really that want... came up when we did the bonus episode review okay. on the, the book. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just uh, a friend of mine told me, asked me recently if I would watch uh, Wolf of Wall Street with her um, because she had never seen it. Okay, And uh, I was like, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she came over and we watched it and uh, Bernthal fucking rips in the show. Like he's like like talking about him being the palooka. Like he's so he's so like he's an animal in that. Like he's got street smarts, but beyond that, nothing. You know, do you watch uh, We Own This City on HBO? I have not seen it. It's incredible. It's 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 you know, it feels so much like The Wire, but it's like The Wire, but shortened and not as involved. And he just is the most corrupt of all corrupt cops. And you see him slowly corrupting as it goes. And it's just he's so good. He's so good. Oh, he could absolutely play that. Yeah. Yeah. He was the best thing in Walking Dead until they killed him off. In fact, I, I to this day I maintain that they should have killed Rick off in The Walking Dead and kept Bernthal's Jane, character, and yeah. it would have been oh. way more interesting. You could have fucking you could have had both versions, you know, yeah. and that would have made it really interesting for uh for fans, you know. Yeah. So you don't have to see shit you already know is coming. Like now you're on unsteady territory, and Rick I think is kind of a, a little bitch on that show. I, I eventually <laughs> stopped watching it because I couldn't yeah. deal with Rick crying all the time being a little sad boy sure. like just oh what every fucking episode the the synopsis is coral like, this week this week on the walking dead the survivors are pushed beyond their very limits yes. like yeah they fucking are like yeah. every week though with this like give me something else you guys got to find an overturned ice cream ice cream truck or something and you just yeah. truck all day yeah, Don't you I, ever set up a slip and slide and have some fun? Jesus Christ. I, I keep chuckling because I have this. Uh, Dana, Dana Gould was on that show Mob City with Barenthal, where Barenthal played Mickey Cohen. And hmm. he just, <laughs> I don't know if people find this as funny as I do, but like he told me the story where I guess Barenthal had to be shirtless in some scene, but I guess he's very hairy. And so they're like, okay, we're going to shave you if that's okay. And he's like, all right, fuck it. And so he's like in the, he's in the makeup tent. And he's just got his pants on, no shirt. And these two women are shaving him. Like the the makeup people are shaving his back and chest and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Dana walks in because he's about to get make, makeup. And Bernal looks at Dana Gould and goes, hey, Dana, you want to shave my pussy? Hey. <laughs> Dana, come here. You want to shave my pussy? You know, like doing that fucking crazy alpha crazy guy he does, you know? And I was like, oh, my God. That would be – I'd be laughing all day. Like oh, yeah. the women are just cracking up, shaving his arms and being like, shut <laughs> the fuck up, John. You know, but oh, just great. What a- well, Matt, who, who do you want to see in, in the lead here? <sighs> Man, um, he's probably too old, but R- Rick Moranis, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I yeah. mean, if, can you imagine like doing like time travel and like Honey, well, I Shrunk the Kids era Rick Moranis playing yeah, this character? Rick, Rick just putting two behind someone's ear and walking away and eating a sandwich. Like Rick Moranis just mur- just like straight up murdering. That scene where he takes revenge on those guys, you see Rick Moranis doing that? How scary would that be? Yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be pretty terrifying. Rick Seymour, eyes. Seymour oh, Krellborn himself with the immersion <laughs> blender. <laughs> Yeah, that is well, not I mean, something you want to encounter. No, if at all. if he hadn't already like entered into this territory with nobody, then Odenkirk would be a really interesting thought too. Oh, but, God. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but I but I think that like it's just too close to nobody yeah. where he's yeah. the the you know kind of the meek yeah, looking. Nah, he can still that, do it. Like nobody was was built so much around the fighting aspect mm-hmm. I, and, and the gunplay, and I think. You know, there's obviously gunplay in Billy Summers, but I think he could. I think he could still do it. Yeah, right. and Billy Summers is not John Wick. You know, John yeah, Wick that's what I'm saying. It's so a completely different point. Basically, yeah. saying the same thing you just said. Uh, like it, it, John Wick is 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 beautiful and balletic, and you know the the romance stuff. And it's like killing someone is probably nothing but ugly and messy. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, there's no there's no big uh, great perfunctory yeah right you know that scene where that uh, i'm thinking of the scene in the irishman where they finally fucking whack jimmy hoffa right he just walks in they fucking shoot him that's it that's it yeah yeah it's like you know it's very it's not glamorous it's very again perfunctory like boom done it's it's joe pesci sticking an ice pick into the base of that guy's skull and it taking a minute to go into his head you know it's it's so just oh god you know just you have to do you do this terrible thing and you do it as fast as you can, but it probably mm-hmm. won't go as fast as you want it to go, you know, and it's just ugly and gross. <laughs> a faster method of murder than the the vice that uh, Pesci employed. Oh, in, God. In, uh, oh, yeah. You know, I remember when we saw, I saw that, like when that movie came out, I fucking badgered my parents into taking like oh. all of us going to see it. Nice. And, you know, I because I I like I was like a big that was like during the the height of my obsessing about film days you know yeah Pulp Fiction set it off and then I just started diving into fucking everything so I had seen Goodfellas and Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and all that shit by that point and it was like new Scorsese we gotta go parents (laughs) are like why do you want us all right fine and uh we walked out of the movie and um I was like that was great and uh my mother was very upset by that movie and I remember like we got home and her coming up to like my bedroom and being like, I just want to know why you thought that movie was great. <laughs> like wow. she, couldn't, she couldn't get past the violence of it to see the technical mastery of it. Yeah. Nor, nor it, it was she one of those people who could ever really set aside the morals of the characters. Right. You know, as a necessary means for for telling, you know, a, a, a morality tale. If they're in the movie, we're supposed to be rooting for them. And why right. should I be made to root for this person? Which is the absolute wrong way to watch movies. Yes. Um. You know, she'd probably do very well as a film blogger these days. <laughs> you know? uh, but yeah. Yeah. It, it, anyway, uh, that's my casino story. Well, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you, if you if there's a main character, you have to root for them and they have to have a moral core. It's like, right. Well, know that neither of those things is true <laughs> absolutely not it is a story and it's know? in fact way more interesting when that's not the case so shut the fuck up that's they're not right. real it's make-believe like mm-hmm. 
go with it. Although I guess with casino, those were real people and that should actually happen. So um, yeah, they, people, like, they were terrible people, you know, yes. not people who were in it to help anyone else. You well, know, you know, know, speaking, you know, speaking of Wolf of Wall Street, mm. you know, uh, the friend that I watched that movie with was just like, within 30 minutes, she was like, uh, tell me he goes to prison forever. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, remember what country this is taking place in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that that's a movie that I, I think it's incredible, but it, I don't I don't love it. I don't love watching it because I'm just like, I'm just watching finance douchebags. I don't you know, not mm. that I need. I think it's it, just because I didn't find them as interesting as I wanted to. You know, um, I think he did as good a job as, as anyone could have done. But I think he was way more in love with the story. Scorsese was than than mm. I would be. You know, like if I was reading that book, I'd be like, I don't really care about this, about the money these guys made and how, you know, like I I, I just I disagree. I thought it, yeah. I thought that I, I thought I thought it was like finances shit that you couldn't with a gun to my head. You know, I couldn't find it entertaining, but Scorsese no. managed to do it. Yeah. And I just thought that, you know, a director of his age pulling off a movie with that level of energy and keeping it consistent for like that's three fucking hours. That's what there are a billion directors working today that could not even approach that shit. Yeah. You know, and you may you may not consider uh uh Jordan Belfort like uh somebody yeah. somebody uh, like a hero in real life. Sure. But I can watch that movie and sort of separate the this is a a dramatized account of this. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm sure the reality was much uglier and probably less interesting, but I don't know. Terrence, I think Terrence Winter wrote the screenplay for that. Um, was yeah, there- and I mean, it's an incredible script and it's it, the movie's directed. You know, a lot of it, if I'm honest, is me just going, man, I hate these guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, wasn't, of course. I wasn't like your friend who was like, I want to see him go to jail. I want to see bad things happen to these guys. I just was like, oh, you know, it just it, it, there were moments I would just be like, you know, like, can, can we can we go somewhere else with these guys a little bit, you know, but at the same time, that's what the story was. And it is an incredible sure. story. I just you know, right. funnily enough, you can take the Wolf of Wall Street cast and any one of them would make interesting, interesting. Uh, Billy Summers is like I Jonah can Hill, the Jonah Hill a case for Jonah Hill playing Billy Summers. I could see a case for, I mean, obviously a case for DiCaprio, right? Like th- that would be in that, that a list version, mm-hmm. you know, the star vehicle version that, that I'd want to see. And, you know, gender Margot flip, Robbie, fuck you. Margot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Billy B B I L L I E Summers, yeah. What about, what Summers. about we went really old with it? We went, uh, we went, uh, we went Rob Reiner. What if we went? That? Yes. <laughs> Rob Reiner's got to be the I'm dude in Vegas that that, uh, that he's trying to get revenge on. God, he's so fucking funny in that movie. Oh, yeah. Twenty thousand dollars for sides, Jordan? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Chandler. That's another. You know, Kyle oh, Chandler yeah. could absolutely play Billy Summers. Yes, uh, I mean, absolutely. So pretty much anybody in the cast of Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. we agree, should be in be playing Billy Summers. Shea yeah. Wiggins Alice? in there, he could do it. Yeah, Shea Wiggum for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I see Shea Wiggum more as the like the 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 bodyguard dude that. Uh, <laughs> that's protecting <laughs> protecting the the main boss for some reason i get the vibe that vibe out of him um but what about alice what do you guys think of of alice because when we initially had our discussion on the the book when it came out with bev bev i believe said that he saw uh, millie bobby brown 
in that role. And that made, I, I don't know about Scott, but it made me recoil going, yeah, uh, you know, nope, she's, she's the little girl from stranger things. I can't see mm-hmm. her, you know, in this role dumped naked and, and sexually abused on this dude's doorstep. It's like I, I, and like, I just had a violent <laughs> recoiling from like, and that's still, I mean, she's, she's a grown woman and, you know, and by the time this is made, you know, she'll be well into the age where she could do that. And, and it's totally fine and not, not uh, gross, but like I don't know, I'm, I'm, maybe the previous generation had this with Drew Barrymore when she, whenever she was posing, you know, nude on Playboy or whatever, yeah. and they just had this visceral reactions like, nope, can't can't do that. Yeah. Um, um. But that was my thought. Like there was just like I can't I can't even see her in that that part. Matt, you want to you you have a name in mind? <sighs> Man, I uh, I got one. If you please, you, you go. I'm I'm still searching. Okay. Okay. So Alice is 21 in Billy mm-hmm. Summers, which. Right. You know, the age difference, it doesn't seem to have any purpose at that point in the story. When you first meet her and realize that's how much younger she is than Billy. Right. But it comes into play toward the end when she has to basically disguise herself as a teenager. Right. So she needs to be young enough to pull that off. I think um, Aubrey Plaza could do this. I don't know that she could believably look like a teenager, but she could still... I, I think she would be great for the role and could look probably close enough to that age mm-hmm. with the proper makeup and whatever you would do to to pull off. Like, all you would need is a couple of fake Polaroids or whatever she sends to the fucking guy. Anyway, my vote would be Aubrey Plaza. Oh, yeah. That's a genius idea. Yeah, I could, we could kind of... Uh, she's been doing a lot of stuff where she kind of gets past her kind of sardonic... Yeah, eye you know, rolling. Yeah, yeah it's, she's become she's become a great fucking actress. Yeah, I think. and awesome. you know, um, I I can see her having the steel necessary for for that particular character, mm-hmm. and it would be really fucking interesting to see her and Bernthal bouncing off of each other. I think. Yeah, hmm. that and and they yeah, it's interesting. And like, you know, who would be really good is uh, Jenna Ortega. You know who Jenna Ortega is? Oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah. she can do it. She was in one of the stars of the new Scream, and she's Wednesday in the Tim Burton Wednesday Adams thing. She's like a star on the rise, and she's she's somebody who can look very young. Obviously, she's playing Wednesday Adams, um, but you know she's she's a grown ass woman. She jumps to mind. Uh, I got one. Yes. What about uh, Amber Mid Thunder? Ooh, from uh, oh from um, oh that's a really good idea. Yeah, because I I thought I mean mm. obviously she kicked a million asses in prey she was just mind-blowing she was so fucking good in that but she's also she's also kind she's i keep trying to use wanting to use the term human for everybody but (laughs) no she's not she happened expected to see some you know they 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 have someone who went through the ringer with the people who choreographed the stuff for john wick and did a year of, of of like crossfit or something it's like no this just looks like uh your average woman in decent shape, you know? Like, mm-hmm. So I like, I could see that for her where she's kind of, you know, this, this put upon woman, you know, mm. a terrible thing happens to her and, you know, good old Bernathal. That's pretty great. Decided. Yeah. I like uh, Thomas and McKenzie as well. Um, oh. She was in um, uh, last night in Soho. She was, uh, oh, yeah. what, what else? She, she was uh, in uh, uh, Jojo rabbit. She was the, the girl in the wall in Jojo rabbit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I think yeah, she can yeah, work yeah. too. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's a 
the thing is, is that I think that's an, a very attractive part if they write it well to mm-hmm. any of like these kind of, you know, up and coming uh, new generation of, of uh, actors, you know, that, that could uh, find this, especially if you pair it with a really great Billy Summers. It, it's, but the thing is you need that chemistry there. So whoever they cast in these, in these parts has to have that chemistry or else the whole second half of the thing is going to feel, I don't know, hollow, you know, yeah. the whole second half of yeah. the story. I've heard some names during this conversation, you know, that would read very young on screen compared to like a mid forties dude. And I think that part of why I'm, I'm thinking Aubrey Plaza is you don't want you visually, you don't want the age difference to read that substantially. Or I think I would try to avoid that. Um, Hmm. I think you just, I think maybe she's not 21, maybe she's 28 in this version, but can be made to look younger if they had to. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do, and I think you would probably avoid, you know, some of the um, backlash that you would receive versus, yeah. you know, say a Jenny Ortega. And I think you also got to really, if you say, let's use uh, John Bernthal, you have to uncool the fuck out of that guy. Like you have to schlub right. him up. I want him wearing nothing but Lands End, maybe LLB, <laughs> maybe a little I mean? paunch for John Dress, Bernthal. Yeah, give him a little belly. Dress him in, in in nothing but Ross dress for less and Mervins. You know? <laughs> Put him in a boring dad jacket and really comfortable, sure. ugly shoes and some chinos. A windbreaker, even. Yes. Dockers pants and a boring haircut. You know, because I feel like right. John is very, he's very cool. You know, he's a very. Uh, he's extremely cool looking. Cool looking yeah. guy. So you got to. Yeah, you have to rely. Yeah, you have to rely on us chemist the the charisma, the natural charisma, more than just looking like super, mm-hmm. yeah, super movers, movie starish. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not picturing Bernthal like coming in there shirtless. No, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's he's got a you know he, he to use Matt's word, he does really need to schlub it up a bit. Yeah, but. you you don't want a Bernthal from the accountant. You know, no, right? So cool, so cool, so effortlessly funny, savage. No, you know, you want this guy who just bides his time, has a frozen yogurt a week, one a week. That's his party. That's all he yeah. has. <laughs> well, we'll he's uh, really good at Monopoly with the neighborhood kids. That's we'll right. get JJ Abrams on the phone and you yeah. know pitch him these ideas. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll send this along. Somebody will will send this to JJ's uh, casting people right right away. Yes, we've tried like, to get JJ on the up. show multiple times. It may be time for us to reach out again and see if we can. Do yeah. that. He's always too busy or some such thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can't imagine JJ Abrams being busy. You know, it's not like he's no. working on 9,000 <laughs> things, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, we really got to get him on the show. I got questions for that dude. Well, anything else we want to discuss in relation to Bill, Billy Summers, or we about covered it? I think we've hit all the high points. Yeah. 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 I don't want to. I, I came in here really not wanting to spoil too much. I don't think we did. Right. So that's, yeah, I, I think know, that's we, didn't, the... we, we didn't really touch the third act. Yeah. Well, and that that's really the last thing to talk about is yeah. is uh is not just the the events of the final act but also the resolution of the whole thing which is really fascinating and interesting yes. but it's still a little too too fresh. I, I don't I don't want to ruin the experience oh, of no, no. somebody reading this. So. Yeah. Yeah. I after don't... after the adaptation comes out it'll be like well you've had your chance to either see it <laughs> see the adaptation or read the book. So so uh, then it's on you, but I think for now we'll leave that that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
you want to plug anything for one last time? You got oh. want to tell people where they can yeah. find you and where they can find more info on it's just a, on uh, Doug. Yeah, it's just a new thing. I, I should say presale uh, starts September fifteenth, where you can kind of buy. Uh, basically, you buy a ticket. I'm not sure how it won't be that much, and then it'll be it'll it'll be available to you for about two weeks to get hold of and download and all that stuff. And then um, it's a you know, or or maybe longer. We'll see. It's just something kind of new we're trying, um, or I'm trying with this uh-huh. thing to make it a little more of an event. But I'm also on tour, so you can go to mattbronger.com/tour, and you can find me uh, on Instagram and Twitter and all that uh, at Bronger. So the at sign B R A U N G E R to just keep up with with all my stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I got, and I would have gladly a thousand percent come on the podcast to plug nothing because it's yes of course it's such a monster hook you had a thing but you had a thing to plug and uh, you know we we like to help our friends plug their thing so of course of course i would have you for this thank you so much appreciate it yeah and we can't uh can't wait to to uh see the special right on man i will i will hear about this doug character i will send (laughs) you guys a link so you can just check it out uh at at your leisure but uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little, you know, deeply personal, hopefully hilarious little journey that I'm, that I'm <laughs> going through. But it's, I just want it to be a vacation. I just want it to be an hour of fun to people forget about the bullshit for 60 minutes. And that's perfect. It. So that's all I want. Yeah. Love to hear it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm sure we will have you back. Love to. And Get another special guys. going so we can do two birds, one stone here. Yes, you know, absolutely. Do a little promo, do a little chatting. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but but thank you for being here. This was, once again, a delight. That was awesome. Love you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Many thanks to Matt Bronger for joining us for that riveting, rousing, riotous, and many other R words that I can't think of right now conversation about Billy Summers. It's a great book. I'm really glad we got a chance to dive into it with Matt. He always brings some funny and good insight, too, and a surprisingly uh, decent casting eye on that dude, too. I think we cast about eight different versions of Billy Summers by the end of that that thing. But maybe JJ's listening and he will, uh, you know, take some of our casting ideas to heart. You never know. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about what's coming up on the King Cast next week's episode in the main feed next Wednesday brings us a first timer to the King cast. He is a horror director of an upcoming movie that everybody's looking forward to. And his chosen title is cat's eye. Yes. More troll talk is on the way and you won't want to miss it for our Patreon bonus episode. This Friday, we'll be dropping our recent fantastic fest live show recorded last week with guest Josh Rubin. You know, he's the director of werewolves within all around. Great dude. Uh, We do have a surprise guest as well. If you follow us on Twitter, you might have uh, had this spoiled for you already. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Fuck it. Wampler's not here to stop me. We were able to find and resurrect the one and only Richard Bachman. That's right. The Richard Bachman. After Stephen King's tried so desperately to keep him buried. The results are chaotic in all the best ways. So if you want to listen to that and any of the other dozens upon dozens upon dozens of bonus episodes that we've banked over the last couple of years, you can sign up to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the KingCast. We have an awesome community over there and probably damn near 100 bonus episodes at this point, ranging from niche King discussions to full length commentaries, including our commentary on Gerald's game with Mike Flanagan and Carlo Gugino. Lots of great shit that you can only get over at our Patreon. So that's all the housekeeping. Everybody send Wampler some get well soon tweets. 
And we'll be back in full force next week to tackle Cat's Eye. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Andley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. Mm-hmm.